0: Hello and welcome to a new episode of Lowdown. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Reese Kerr to speak about the role of an individual development coach. Reese, welcome to the show.
1: Uh, thanks Connor, thanks for the invite to get involved and um, I'm looking forward to, uh, to having a good chat today. Rhys, I suppose where do we begin? How did you manage to
0: cultivate this obsession for football growing up?
1: I think I was just drawn to it mate to be honest I think I, you can't really help it can you what what you're drawn to it's the best toy in the world of football isn't it um, you can have hours of fun with it and you can do it on your own with, with mates whatever so um yeah it, it, everything was just born from the love of the game and I think even to this day with with how I try and work as as a coach in my kind of field and area everything ties into to the game there's nothing more important than than the game and, and the football so um yeah I just grew up grew up loving it grew up playing all the time uh, i was an only child so i was in the garden all the time playing playing by myself um as you get a bit older then you're going out you're playing with your mates your school team your kind of district a, a little bit of, of academy stuff then and and then yeah so um yeah it's, it's, it's the best thing in the world it's something i'm really passionate about so uh and i've got two young lads of my own now and they they're just at the start of their journey and it's um it's brilliant to watch them getting as much enjoyment out of it as well
0: and I suppose you began your professional career, let's say, in the realm of sports science, but finding that niche working on individual development. I mean, previously having headed up sports science departments and clubs, being on the outside, I mean, having that ability to reflect, did that perhaps help you identify any blind spots
1: from coaches' session plans? Um, possibly. I think um, and you know, to touch on the point I just made there, mate is is everything relates to the game so um I was always the first person to say even when I was just in the sports science realm if you picked me up and threw me into cricket or rugby or any other sport I don't think I'd be strong or effective now you're probably talking yourself out of of a load of jobs there but I I wouldn't want to work in another sport um and the reason why I say this I think you have to understand the game so you put yourself your sports science hat on one of the first things people think about is um, the the distances and high speed running and, and things like that and reports you get from training and games and I always always have felt that without any real context or understanding of the game or what the demands the coach is putting on the players will get this type of response physically. If you don't understand that, how can you condition them for that? You know, I, I couldn't go and get an ice hockey team fit because I perhaps don't I don't understand the game enough to go and get them fit for what the, the purpose for trying to get them fit for. So um it was always the the context of the game that I thought was important I think my background as as a player by no means a a top top player but I've played the game a little bit um and had coaching badges at the start of my kind of career in in professional football um I think that helped me a little bit um and like I say it was always the game that, that that drew me in I wanted to work in football so um you're always looking at how certain positions move what type of physical responses they've got in that how does if you're playing a low block four four two, what does your physical output look like for a fullback be very different to two wing backs in a high pressing team for example so um i think once you're looking at that you're starting to look at the real detail of how that person plays and that's probably then led a little bit to the to the individual side so um coaching was always my main passion and, and what i wanted to do sports science was it was a fantastic kind of entry for me to be able to to do that I guess um but I like to think that's a little bit of a, a unique selling point for me now that I've got a, a decent understanding of, of both and, and I've been lucky to work with some top managers as well so being in the rooms when we're doing opposition analysis and tactical meetings about how we're going to beat certain oppositions how we're going to break them down how does that affect the individual and the unit in terms of pressing triggers and body shapes and all that kind of detail. So it's um it's something I've always found fascinating and, and I love kind of designing sessions as well, whether it be individual, smaller groups or team sessions, that's probably one of the things I enjoy the most. So, you know, what do we how do we want to play? What are we trying to teach? And how can we design something that can 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 help our players develop in that? So that's um yeah, that's probably one of my most passionate parts of the uh, the job now.
0: I'm curious though, it's nearly as much as a paradox, if anything. When you say it's context-dependent, so to speak, and it really is, and you have to have that feel for the game, but that ability to think critically too, that's something you would have gained from, I mean, your work in academics, that ability to question things. I suppose in football, what I'm most curious about is, why is there a culture of being afraid to try new things? I mean, you look at sports such as the NFL, you look at a quarterback, you'll have anything from an S&C coach to a footwork coach a handling coach. I mean, having just vacated your role now at Sheffield United, I mean, have you any plans going forward to look and incorporate teachings from perhaps any other sports or different in- industries?
1: Um, certainly not other sports uh, if I'm totally honest and, and that might be silly to put out into the public domain when I'm, I'm sat here not, not working at this moment in time. But, but like I say, football is what my passion is and that's, that's what I love and, and that's what I want to be involved in. Um, I think that in terms of other projects there's a couple of things at the moment but nothing that's really kind of gripped me and thought yeah that's that's really really what i want to do i think that specialist coaching will perhaps be the way forwards you mentioned the nfl and just look at their kind of coaching staffs and the real kind of detail that the players get i I certainly see football starting to go that way um i think traditionally perhaps no i think when i was a young kind of player trying to just come into senior football the term, oh, he's busy, he's busy, and, and you look back, and I, I hate that term, and, and, and I've even heard it as a coach, but I think that's leaving the game now. I think that the introduction of the EPPP, where young academy players get a lot more kind of care and attention in, in their development now throughout their journey, those players are now becoming senior players, so they expect that care and attention when they get to the first team. Just because they're now a first team player doesn't mean that they they stop learning. Doesn't mean that they still haven't got things to learn. You know, in fact, they probably need to learn even more to get the levels. Um, so I do think that that specialist coaching will will come in. Um, except in football, that you have a goalkeeper coach. So why don't you have a midfielders coach? Why don't you have a strikers coach? We've always accepted the goalies need to access a specialist position. Well, so is being a striker. So, being a defender, it's still specialist. There's still requirements that you need to know and need to learn. So, I do think that individual kind of care and detail certainly seen it start to grow. And I think it'll only continue to go that way. Uh,
0: football, of course, really is an infinite game. And I suppose when we speak about success, it really is hard to define as much as, you know, it is very much a subjective term. But reflecting upon being at Sheffield United, I mean, you look at the academy system there, no other club in the UK as many academy graduates in the current England setup, and Sheffield United. Um, you have Aaron Ramsdale, Kyle Walker, Harry Maguire and Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I mean, last season, debuts were handed out to Daniel Javison, Antoine Hackford and many others. What was so special and unique about that environment there?
1: Um, it'd be very difficult for me to talk about, you know, the senior England players that you mentioned there because that, that was before my time. Um, but I can certainly comment on, on the kind of young ones that have come through now. I think that best through the manager was Jack was the guy, my opportunity to recover back as well. The environment that he's created in there is is outstanding for, for not only the real, world, but also mentality um, and driving standards each and every day for these players. You know, to get a to get a top career and to get everything out of yourself to play at the, the higher levels you can't take too many days off for your career uh, and that's really driven into the into the young players there and, and you certainly see development so when you want real intensity in your sessions you want people pressing properly and, and with aggression you're speeding up the, the team with the ball then you're speeding up their, their decision making you're speeding up the pictures that they have to take all the time Then once they, they're getting better at making good decisions quicker, they need to be able to execute whatever it is they want to do, pass, shoot, tackle, whatever it is, um, and have a good kind of succession output with that. And I think that the environment and the culture that they've got there is outstanding. Um, it's a pleasure to be a part of. Um, Paul Eckingbottom takes the 23s and he's obviously a very experienced manager in his own right, has, has worked in the championship and obviously running his interim at the end of the season. You've got, Derek Geary, um, who does the 18s, drives intensity every day and, and has fantastic relationships with his with his players. And, and there's loads of staff around that. So that there's real detail given to individuals um, in whatever stage of their development they're at coming through the academy. But there's also real drive, intensity and mentality for, for the teams as well. And I think, yeah, we've certainly seen some, some good developments with the players and, and I'm sure that will continue to happen.
0: And it's the hallmark of a good academy too, Reese, isn't it, when you have those traditional values that aren't lost. But Sheffield United, they weren't afraid to innovate either. I've read recent reports too about their use of neuroscience in the development process. Could you elaborate a bit more?
1: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to elaborate too much because my understanding of it isn't isn't fantastic. I I was learning, and it's something that fascinates me, and I still need to to learn more on it. Um, But we brought in a lady called Sally, uh, Sally Needham from the FA, and she really opened a lot of coaches' eyes in terms of you know language or your softer skills, which we all know is important. But it was it was brilliant and fascinating to have her there to kind of prod you and kind of point you in certain directions. Uh, not forcefully, never forcefully, if, if you wanted to learn something, though, she was always there and she could guide you with your learning on that. So that that was fantastic. Um, and like you say, sometimes thinking outside of the box um, in terms, you know, what what are we missing? What can we add? How can we make things a little bit better? Perhaps somebody else isn't doing. And um, and yeah, that, I think that, that side of things will only continue to grow. I've, I've had some really fascinating chats with Sally um, over the last year of kind of working with her and She's very good at what she does and the step that she's implementing in the academy is very good as well.
0: And I suppose at the heart of any philosophy, Reece, you need to have that core foundation. Um, listening to you recently on the and Ground Guru conference was really illuminating and fascinating. Um, you elaborated there upon the two main core tenets, perhaps, of your philosophy. Number one being the skill acquisition model, search, decide and execute. And second being that purposeful practice. What does that process look like for yourself?
1: Well, the search, decide, execute one, you kind of touched on in the, in the last answer, really. So for, for those that might not have heard that that ground guru uh, training ground guru webinar recently, um, I was introduced to this probably during the last lockdown or the original lockdown, when we've had so many now, so whenever it was, um, I was kind of tasked with having a little look at skill acquisition and trying to further my own learning on that, which I did, and um, came across a book called the playmakers um, playmakers advantage i always recommend that book because it was brilliant and it continuously talks about the um, search decide, execute kind of loop that players are constantly in during any game any game whatsoever so is you're constantly taking in information whether that be through visually whether it's what you can hear whether it's just you know that at this moment in time you're in the 89th minute and you're one 0 up you're away from home you're in the corner don't Cross it, maybe perhaps keep it, come back out. Um, momentum in games, all this information you're constantly taking on, which will then inform your decisions. The best players tend to make the best decisions. And then once they've made those decisions, they've got the the, the technique to be able to, to find that pass or to be able to, whatever it is, finish, run, tackle, jump, whatever the decision is, whatever technical execution you want to do. So you're constantly in that cycle as a player. Um, so that was you know, something for me, well, you can almost look at, at your learning, then if a player's not quite getting there on something, well, what is it? What in the game at that moment in time? Um, is it it, um, is decision-making? He is taking in that information, but decisions, so, or is it the technical side of things? So you can almost hone in on what it specifically is you're looking to develop to make a player a little bit better as well. um And then that takes you basically to, like you say, purposeful practice. So once you kind of realise or you're looking at improving whatever aspect of a young player's game or old player's game, um, designing sessions that are going to get that, that are going to create that moment or that picture over and over. um, You know, there's benefits in doing 11-11, don't get me wrong, absolutely there is, tactically everything else. But if you really want to focus in on, on those moments, so, if you're working with, with a young group of midfielders, you've got a fantastic ranger pass um, who sits at the basic of midfield. You've got one who's making fantastic at the time in third man runs. And you've got another who's, who's I don't know, brilliant at receiving on the half turn to play forwards. Well, can I design a session that's going to expose strengths and expose these moments with these fielders at the moment? Can I do it unopposed? And then can I build up a little bit of opposition within that? And then can I perhaps go into a, a phase of attack-free defense where it's very tight in the midfield, but the, the pitch is longer to encourage that run from deep. So can we get in behind or an up back through with a striker? So a, a session design, then guess that peaceful practice. And, and the more we do anything, the better we get it. So if you set up a session, we get 30 repetitions of that the start of your session and you go into your 11, 11 and it comes out once or twice well brilliant that you're reinforcing the learning then um so yeah that's you know i've waffled on a little bit here, but it's something about but in a nutshell how i how i look at it
0: no it's very fascinating for me um you spoke about uh, youth development and coaching on the webinar was illuminating really uh, it's more almost akin to whack more you improve one thing, you focus on that area and lo and behold, there's something else that needs to be addressed over the course of that six to eight weeks. I mean, is that process for you, is it more about building players' strengths or improving weaknesses?
1: I think a player will make a career based on what his strengths are. So, a manager will sign a player at the top level of the game because of what he can bring to his team, to so his assets. So, Manchester United haven't just signed Jadon Sancho because of his heading ability, and they're not about to try and develop that and play him next to Harry Maguire at centre-half. They, they've signed him for what his strengths are. So I know that's a very obvious statement, but you will make a career based on what your strengths are. There is the time where you have to work on weaknesses because at the same time, the best players will expose your weaknesses if you've got too many of them as well. So, um, And that's probably the art of coaching, isn't it? It's probably finding how you distribute your time on, on focusing on strengths making them super strengths, making a player outstanding or world-class that particular attribute, whilst also perhaps sometimes breaking it down and slowing things down and working on the technique of his weak foot pass. Because, you know, if I'm working with a centre-half and playing out from the back at, at higher levels, he will get pressed and shown onto his weak foot. So if that happens and it's Kylian Mbappe that's pressing you and he's travelling at 10 metres per second to press you or whatever it is, you need to be good off your left, off your weak foot as well. So, um, yeah, I think you have to strike a balance, but they'll make a career off what their strengths are. But if we can bring those weaknesses up a bit as well, then, you know, brilliant.
0: And I suppose at the end of the working day for you, Reese, you spoke about what it's like for you and the player being on the pitch, off the pitch. How
1: do you close that feedback loop with the player? Uh, It's it's one of the best bits, mate. It's, It's those relationships. It's the, it's the Champions League on a Tuesday night and, and you see something happens that you've been working on with a player and you send him that message straight away or you, you, you're pausing your TV and, and recording it quickly so you can send, you know, those type things. And, and I think I, th- I think that's how you get perhaps a little bit more from your players as well. When, when they know that you care, um, they really buy into what, what you're doing with them. So, look, I'm sure I've probably sent a player a text or a message or something in the past and he's kind of gone, oh, i'm sure it's happened i haven't they haven't verbally said that to me but i'm sure it has but at the same time deep down they'll know well he's only sending that to me because he cares you know it's their career they're the ones that are gonna hopefully have the name up in lights and, and the bank balance with a few zeros in it come, come the end of the day so um yeah i think once you once they know how much you care um and how much you want to develop them then that really does build those relationships and you can push them a bit more then as well because don't forget th- these players need to be pushed at times and and if they know that you've got their interests at heart well perhaps you can push them that a little bit more as well and the more you push them perhaps you might just tip them into the next kind of level or just enough to get that next move or that next contract and so on and so forth it's uh you don't have forever to become a footballer you've probably got a sweet spot of a few years haven't you so it's uh, it's very important
0: exactly and i think it's all about igniting that inner child within the footballer i mean we can all remember when we were kids reese you know, watching their first international tournament, wall-to-wall football. Even somebody like your son now, who I'm pretty sure is immersed within the games. I mean, watching top-class players like Paul Pogba, his stuff, on the biggest of stages, Luka Modric, Pedri, that 360 vision. I suppose in your own mind now as a coach, there must be endless possibilities going off as to what you can actually coach these young players.
1: 100%. It was funny the other night. I think it was the... Um... The game where France went out the other night, and obviously with the ball, Pogba was outstanding. He scored that goal, didn't he? Top corner. It was brilliant. Um, and, and I'd be talking to my young lad. He's only seven. and uh, Perhaps I should have left this out until he's a bit older. But I was talking to him about the importance of getting second balls when you're playing in midfield. Um, and, you know, Pogba was fantastic with the, with the football. Brilliant. And and he was a bit slow on his heels or he didn't react to drop on a second ball. And and Ruben, my lad, said, oh, he could have got that second ball there, though, Dad, couldn't he? And I was like, I was buzzing because I thought, brilliant. You know, he's not just looking at the highlight reel stuff. He's looking at the stuff that's important as well. So, um, yeah, absolutely. And, And those kind of little nitty gritty details, I think, are important because... We, we all know or we've all worked with players that are fantastically talented and express themselves with the football. But we also know a lot of these type of players where managers might not play them as much as perhaps they want to, because they might not quite trust them without the ball, you might not trust them to be responsible at certain times and at certain moments. So I think it's important to teach, teach young players the, the importance of that, because, you know, there is a point where it goes from being a game to, to a profession. There is that point. We should always, always ignite that enthusiasm of of child of you know of we all play the game because we love it. We fell in love with it when we were kids because we loved playing it. We should always try and ignite that, whether the player's fifteen or thirty-five. But there is also an element where they need to understand that you know it's a job now as well. So I expect you to to take certain elements of, of your game and your development seriously. And um, I think we can help them as coaches. I don't think we should let them find out when they're twenty-one and they've. Perhaps just cost their team in front of a few thousand and the manager's now hammering them in the change room at halftime. And that's how we learn. Well, Less talent that's important at 15, 16, 17. Whether the penny drops or not, I don't know. But at least they've had the information a little bit sooner rather than learning when it's perhaps too late.
0: Yeah. And to be honest, now on a personal level, I'd be very much a proponent of guided discovery, you know, design and sessions that speak to the players. But in terms of, you spoke earlier on Reese, you love your session designs. Would you ever, I suppose, integrate players and their feedback into the planning process, speaking with players over how can we design a drill that uh, merits the 360 and scanning vision of a likes of a moderator, bus corrects, or a Pedri?
1: Yeah, 100%, and I think if they feel like they've got a little bit of input, they'll give you a little bit more in terms of buy-in as well um again it's probably down to your communication skills if, if you feel is it for you a certain way can you kind of edge them towards that with your questioning and, and certain things like that like you say um but yeah absolutely you know you, you want players to come to you and say can you help me work on this or can we work on that or what do you think about this did you see something last night can i add that to my game or you want that from your players um what you don't want is the half past one in the afternoon, wash bag under the bag, under the arm, I'm off now, see you later. You want people who want to get better. Um, you know, you can always coach down from that and try and rein them in a little bit, but it's it's so much easier to, to kind of re- try and rein in over enthusiasm sometimes than, than to try and inject a bit of enthusiasm into someone who just does the bare minimum, I find. So, yeah, definitely.
0: I suppose a follow-up then would be, you know, traditionally a big question among coaches would be, you know, whether to develop players organically, you know, and foster that individual development or develop players in relation to your game model. I suppose a better question nowadays, Reese, would be, why not both?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree. So I <laughs> know that's the briefest of answers. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, I, I've spoken before and, and I'm, I'm quite a big advocate of, when we're trying to create these sessions and, and get these moments uh, in games, for our, for our players in training so that the game becomes easier. Well, if I've got a game model where I'm playing a, a right winger on the left, sorry, right footer on the left and a left footer on the right, and they're gonna be more inverted, well then what, why am I gonna work with them getting down the outside and, and crossing in and the strikers movements based off that? Perhaps at the top level, I wouldn't necessarily work on that because we're not gonna see that moment very much in our game, so it's wasted time. Um, but at the same time, yeah, you, you also do want that adaptability and that flexibility. Um, as well so and it probably comes back to that um, conversation we had a moment ago where we we're talking about do we focus on strengths or do we look at the weaknesses it's the you, you, the art for you as the coach is then finding the balance of, of those things but I, I do think at the top end how would you want your team to play what do you want the game to look like that's where you've got to coach and that's where you've got to go and teach and I think that you need to be quite clever in in maximizing your time on the grass and in the video room in, in kind of training that and teaching that. Um, but, you know, you, you do also want flexibility and, and problem solvers as well in the game. Because if, if that's your game model, but it's not quite working, you know, we don't, we're not in the players' heads during the game. We can't t- tell them what to do. They can't hear you half the time if there's a crowd there and, and they're over the far side of the pitch. So you also want them to be able to, to problem solve as well. Um, so yeah sometimes designing sessions and just allowing them to work things out themselves is just as much development as it is something that's more prescribed.
0: Yeah and I suppose naturally enough the context I should have given behind that question, questionaries was um, I spoke with Ryan Baldy last night about his new book The Dream Factory and he mentioned Colchester United's Academy Director John D'Souza and he mentions an epitaph from John where he speaks about that dawning realisation and he was like how am I ever going to accommodate individual development when I'm so welded, so fixated on my game model, which at the time was a 4-3-3? I mean, how imperative is it for clubs and coaches to be asking the right questions when it comes to focusing on the individual? We've only seen we've seen good, good practitioners, the likes of your Liverpool's, likes of your Manchester United's for the past decade or so focusing on the individual. But why is there such a gap, I suppose, between the least the top percentile, and the rest?
1: Um, it's, a, it's a tough question to answer that, but I do think that, I think it was Johan that said it, if, if you improve the individual, well, you're improving the team anyway. If I can make a centre half better at heading it, the team's now better because they've got a better centre half in it that can head it a bit better. Um, you know, about being fixated on your game model or your, your tactics, your style of play, there's still individual developments within that. So you know, you I sometimes see formation does or doesn't win you games, it's it's the actions within the game that goes and wins you the game. So if I've got a fallback that, that doesn't close down the winger well enough to stop crosses coming into the box, he's still gonna be a, a fallback in a four through three or a three-five-two or a four four-two or four-five, whatever it is, he's still a fullback. Um, and if he if he he doesn't have the, the detail on, on when to go in terms of when to release and go and press the winger. What he does when he gets there is body shape, the, the, the little nudges and the contacts and the arm across him and matching the foot patterns and, and when to kind of look to block the cross, not lunging. So then you get chopped and he comes back into so those little bits and pieces. Um, that that for me is still individual development within your, your game model um, because it's the individual detail and the individual tactic. Um, so yeah I still think you, you can certainly get it fixated on your game model or not if, if you've got a midfielder who if you're playing that 433 that you mentioned and you're playing a 1 and a 2 perhaps and you want that real midfielder really breaking lines but he's not taking pictures quick enough to be able to be able to do it off one touch or do it quickly in two touches well then we'll work on him within that and if he's able to start doing that well then the eight and the 10 can perhaps make the timing of their runs a little bit different because they now have the confidence that he's gonna receive and see them and play through the lines or they can open up passing lanes to be able to play into strikers or whatever it is. So there is individual development within your, your team focus for me, whatever your game model, absolutely. And that's probably where you add in those little, little nuances and those little layers to the team. If, if the eight, to use that example, if, if your deep liar is now very good at uh, knowing what's in front of him and looking to play forwards, the eight and the ten move and open up a passing lane, but their defenders don't move. Well, then I want these two to now be very good at receiving on the back foot to so then be able to drive forwards. If they do, the defensive midfielders do come with the eight and the ten, it opens up that lane in there. I want the timing of their runs to be able to receive from the front off the striker to be to be good now because that's what's the picture that's going to happen or the moment that's going to happen. So um, and that's all within your game model. So, and that's individual development within your game model and now if you've got them better at that the centre half better at heading the full back better at stopping crosses from the wide man you're probably going to get a better team as well
0: exactly and i think that's where we're all drawn to coaching and specifically speaking on my behalf youth development because different players different ages require different bits of information at different stages of your journey and i suppose that's the beauty of the playmaker's advantage and that search to side execute model you could be working on a variety of things, I suppose, when you're doing unit work or position-specific work with some of these players. But um, just to touch upon, again, Reese, the Training Grand Guru webinar, which was fantastic. and You compared working in individual development at the academy level to the first team. You spoke about that gap between principle and game day against opposition at the first team level. Could you elaborate a bit more upon that?
1: Which gap was that? Sorry, it just uh, sorry.
0: At first team level, Reese, uh, you spoke about that gap between your playing principles, principles of play, and
1: game day against opposition. Okay. Um, I mean, first of all, I think in the in the first team environment, ultimately it's about winning. So <laughs> that's what we need to do. Otherwise, people lose their jobs. Unfortunately, that is the harsh reality of football. Um in the academy environment it's about development so so they obviously they're the massive obvious differences between the two environments and the way i always look at academy players is if you've got an 18 year old centre forward in the academy and a 28 year old centre forward in the first team if at the moment the first team players here and the academy players here well, well this is this is your gap if they're both leaving training after just doing their training session in the morning, and they're out by two o'clock in the afternoon. Well, the gap stays there, so this guy has to do more. He has to do more. There has to be a culture of wanting to do more, um, of wanting to learn more about extra work. You know, you won't. I don't. I don't think you should be told. Oh, he's done too much distance this week, or unless it's ridiculously excessive. I don't think you should be told that in a development environment because. I'm working on him to make him better. And actually, the gap starting to do that. If you start telling me that, oh, perhaps he's done a little bit too much on his feet or whatever, well, the gap will just stay there and you will never get there and overtake this, this player. So um, that, that's obviously the massive difference between academy and, and first team. First team sometimes, I've worked in the championship and it's Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. If you're in the team for all of those games, your learning might be coming in the video room because that the load is now important because you're expected to be a hundred percent energy come the next game. Academy environment can be different. Sometimes you can, sometimes why don't we make them a little bit fatigued by working with them? I'm not talking recklessly or too excessively, but we need to work with them to make them better. So let's do that. And then, you know what, you know, if they do go into into the next game a little bit tired, good. Because you ask professional players, um you know how many games in your career you've played 400 games tell me how many of those 400 games you went into feeling 100 pristine absolutely fantastic and they won't say many they won't there'll always be an element of a fatigue or a little knock or they've had to have that strapped up for this or that reason so there's a mentality element involved in that as well of, of your players perhaps being mentality robust robust enough to right we go again and yeah, I'm feeling a little bit sore on my ankle because I got kicked a few days ago, but that doesn't mean that I can't go and press my opposite man properly. You know, I can't come in at half time and say, oh yeah, they scored, but you know, my ankle's a bit sore, so we'll get off the pitch then, someone else can come on and play, and that's the harsh reality of how it is. So I think, yeah, the, the academy environment definitely has to be a culture of doing more, and and then it comes back to the why. If, if the player understands what you're trying to teach them, what you're trying to help them with, what you're, how you're doing it, how it makes things better for them, what they'll get from it from being better, well, then you'll get that buy-in in in, in doing them all as well. Um, I'm I'm not sure if that's answered your question perfectly. I
0: I think it's given a context, Reese. because, I mean, from the sounds of it, if you weren't giving players those pictures, for example, or those lived experiences, you're not really doing your due diligence, are you, as a coach? I mean, you had one quote as well, which I'm going to refer to now. You know, players learn these things at 25. Why don't they learn and experience them at 15, 16? It's about creating those lived moments.
1: Well, you know, when you're 16, I think, I think I'm right in saying this, you can play senior football. Um, so if you're good enough, you're old enough. If, if, you're, if you're at 16 better than the 26-year-old striker, the manager will play you because he wants to win the game. Um, on the flip side, if you were to get an opportunity at 16 and you don't know a lot of these things, it might take you a little bit longer to get your next opportunity because the manager will expect you to go away and perhaps learn that and you know sometimes it, you might not get many opportunities depending on who the manager is so we, we have to help these players and give them the platform to go and perform and to go and get themselves a career like, like i say if, if a first team manager's job is on the line he might be reluctant to put a younger player in if he keeps making the same mistake two or three times so we have to help them we have to give them that information they they can't just go and find it out sometime. Well, they, they can, and, and lots have, but what's wrong with trying to help them and, and tell them that beforehand?
0: You know, yeah, and two, you look at, I suppose, seven the last seven to ten years, we've seen the most dominant clubs worldwide. They've had maybe just one or two different styles of play and they've been hugely successful, whereas now you look at the best teams, the best players, they're almost akin to a Swiss army knife. I mean, having worked at the forefront and been at the heart of this development of the young players over the past six, seven years, Reese. What do you foresee the future player and the future game looking like in coming five to ten years?
1: Well, it's, it's certainly got faster physically, hasn't it, over the last few years in, in terms of, you know, high intensity work. Um, not everyone is is going to be a, com, a complete athlete though, so certainly that cognitive and that decision-making side of things will will be Massive. I think Arsene Wenger has spoken about it recently, or quite a lot recently as well, about um, cognitive, you know, and decision making, all that element of the game is going to be what, what's next. So, so this is really what I'm, I guess what I'm talking about in terms of giving the information to these young players sooner. And uh, sports technology is, is having more and more input into into game sports. You know, data is there's reams and reams of data now available on on games and, and on training. So much, an incredible amount. I think it's important for you as a coach, again, comes back to your game model and what you want to look at. Well, let's rather than slapping a report with all these numbers in front of the player, what two or three things are important to him in his position based on how we want to go and play. Um, And perhaps utilizing that information because then that will help in their decision-making process. And then it helps in your session design to to get them to to see the pictures and and experience and feel it. So then when Saturday comes, they're able to execute it a bit better so I certainly think that side of the game if if you can if you can think quicker it's worth probably a couple of steps with with your legs already.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think as we spoke earlier on at the start of this conversation Reese you can't beat that human connection. And I suppose where I'm going with this one is that you know we sometimes tend to forget that ourselves as coaches or even the players we're dealing with at the end of the day we're all human beings. You know our brains are neuroplastic. We're learning. We're improving the whole time. If you don't have, if you're not individual led, nothing else will follow. If you don't have that rapport or that trust with the player, if you don't, you know, send that text message to that player watching Champions League on a Tuesday night. At the end of the day, that's what football's about. It's about those socio-effective relationships. I suppose, Reese, having spoken about your journey today, I mean,
1: what's next? Um, It's a great question. I ask myself it a lot at the moment. Uh, My wife asks me even more than I ask myself. Um, I don't know, um, to to be totally honest with you. Um, It was a... I I loved my time at Sheffield United. Really loved it there. Um, Great place, good people, fantastic football club. My family is 200 miles away from there. Um, So I've got a young family, a wife, I've got two young sons. And I just felt like I wasn't um, perhaps present for what's, what's really important in, in my life, uh, which is them, obviously. So um, I don't know, I'm, I'm open to, to whatever project. I don't have anything kind of concrete at this moment in time. I, I'm enjoying, I've enjoyed the last few weeks of, of being home. Um, I, I certainly do want to get back in quickly, but I have enjoyed being home, particularly with the Euros being on as well. Uh, that's been great. So um, no, th- there's nothing concrete, but I'm very open to, to whatever happens and hopefully something happens, you know,
0: soon. And, I suppose to conclude, Reese. I mean, what advice would you have for young coaches who aspire to go down this specific path?
1: Just the, the clues. There's clues every single game. There's clues in in every single. So many resources out there now. So look at the best what they do. So if you're talking about individual development, you know, I, I did. I did not play. I have not won a World Cup. I didn't play 500 times in the Premier League. So I don't. I don't talk from. A position of experiencing it but I talk from a position of, of real a lot of study uh, you know and there's clues in the successes of others what how do the best centre forwards timing of their runs Cavani incredible so when he kind of dips just behind the the, the centre half to then get across the front of him and the timing of when the winger puts his head down and or if You know, defenders are sometimes taught, you know, don't ever, I remember hearing Gary Neville say it, don't ever look at the the man or the ball longer than one second. Make sure you're constantly checking both. So as a centre forward, I'm saying, well, when he does look back at the winger about to cross it, that's your moment to go and and make the move and cure out of his eye line in that second. So there's clues in all these little details uh, in the game and just look at the best and and study it, study it, get as much time on the grass as you can, um, experiment, experiment. but stay true to yourself be be yourself as well so whatever you are as a person bring that into your, your coaching style
0: Reece, um, it's been illuminating the past 30-40 minutes learned a lot took a lot away from the conversation and um, I suppose where is best for everybody to keep up to date with your current uh, musings of the game of football um,
1: well I'm on Twitter um, car 86 LinkedIn I'm on there as well um, I'm trying to break the habit of picking up my phone and, and scrolling too much at the moment because we can waste a lot of time, I think, sometimes on social media. There's certainly something I'm trying to focus on. But, no, I'm on there and and I do have time on my hands at the moment. I love talking football. So if anyone wanted to, to reach out, you know, absolutely feel free to and I'll get back to you.
0: Yeah, I'd second that. Rhys, thanks, Mullen, for coming on. Top, man.
1: I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you very
0: much.